It's football and other F words. Football is back. Training camp is here. We have a lot of stuff to talk about because like always, I was right. Um, We'll get to the Kevin Byard stuff later. Uh, For those that find me unbearable in the YouTube comments, then thank me later when I confront them and just thank them for listening. I'll still be my same unbearable self that lets you tune in every week for whatever reason. You don't have to, but you're still here. And I'll take you. I don't care. I don't care if you find me unbearable or not. Anyway, welcome in. Bluegrass Beverages is our sponsor. Been here since the 70s in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Joined the B.O.B. Club. That is their insider crowd club. I just don't like the B.O.B. I get why it's called B.O.B., but, you know, Bill O'Brien calls DeAndre Hopkins lazy and it still sticks in his crawl. But you know what doesn't stick in our crawl is to find people at Bluegrass Beverages. They are fantastic. They'll help you find whatever you may need, get you drunk, in a efficient manner. That is their, not their motto, maybe not even their mission, but that is secretly their intention. So head over to Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee, or their sister store, Sinker's Beverages in East Nashville. Mike has a piece up over at paulkaharski.com where he talks about the seven most important, he ranks the seven most important storylines of Titans training camp. You can read all of that over there at paulkaharski.com. And then you can follow him on Twitter at MikeCurrentinNFL. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. And you can go to StackingTheInbox.com where we have a slew of information and articles for you where we talk about D-Hop, Derrick Henry. We got comments piling in. Always bearable from D-Good. Easton says he finds Mike Herndon unbearable. Derek says, you aren't unbearable, Zach. Kind of funny, though. I, I think it's hilarious. And uh, we got Stoney Keeley requesting a full hour on John Ojukwu today. OJ, because it's uh, easier for uh, I'm for in on Ojukwu hour. Well, we 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 will get to plenty give of the right tackle want. talk. We're gonna give the people what they want. <laughs> it's gonna be some heavy heavy dose of uh, OJ today. Get your vitamin C, kids. <laughs> it's coming, Mike. I want to start though. I was reading your piece, and it looks like you've already given up on Trevon Wesco. I haven't given up on Trevon Wesco. I just, I mean, I think when you look at the tight end room, there's questions, right? I mean, Trevon Wesco hasn't played more than 23% of snaps. Why did these questions just all of a sudden pop up? It's like you're actively searching to contradict yourself. Find ways to contradict. I'm I'm still excited about Wesco. I'm glad that they got Wesco. Sounds like he's a piece of shit according to your article. No. So here's, here's the thing. I have this weird thing where I want a guy to prove that he can do a role at an expanded level at the NFL level before I'm willing to just say, okay, he's great. Plug him in. Like he's going to be really, really good. Um, I would like to see it first. So I don't know. I I mean, I think we may, I may have to roll back the tape at some point this week. And when we were live on air and you were talking about how amazing the Dravon Wesco. I'm excited about it. I still am excited about about it. I think he's, I think, Bet worth taking. I think he's going to be better than Jeff Swaim, but we need to see it. And I think if the other problem is he's definitely not a pass catcher. And so if if Chig does go down, like there's nobody to catch balls in that room you know, besides maybe Josh Wiley and and rookie tight ends generally take a time take some time to develop at the NFL level. So that's all I'm saying. There, there's there are depth issues all over this roster. Tight end is one of them. Uh, we got, Von Wesco as a blocker. We got it. We got Zach Whitener in the uh, YouTube chat. Mike is a professional fence walker. So I'm we're going to rename, we're gonna rename no, the show. On, we're going to rename the show Fence Walker and the Bear. No, hang on. I I don't walk fences. I provide objective analysis, which means that I'm not running to one side of the fence or the other just for a take. Like I'm not going to go scream that this is the best player that to ever grace the field or that. Trevon Wesco is trash. Like, I'm just telling you my objective analysis. And if you call that fence walking, then so be it. I'll fucking <laughs> ride this fence to the death. My, uh, we got a lot of takes, you know, of course, coming out from training camp. My favorite one is like a clip of De- DeAndre Hopkins and say, quit calling this man Julio Jones. This man's doing the same drill. And then you can go back a couple of years where Buck Rising is showing clips of uh, Julio Jones doing the same drill and everybody going crazy again. I, I'm I'm with you. It's okay to provide objectivity. It just seems like sometimes your objectivity is clashing with your previous opinions. I I don't think they are. All right, all right. 
I just I, I, I explained. He hated it for Trevon Wesco. He had a really rough start to the offseason. Then he comes in today and probably reads that article where you're just trashing him, saying, oh, this guy's lazy. He can only play 26% of the snaps. I, I'm not saying he can only. I'm saying he has only. We need to see it. Show me the goods. Uh, we got Easton saying uh, he actually thinks Elise Mack will make the roster. So we'll, we'll see about that. I think it's Alizé. I think it's Alizé. At least I'm, that's how I'm pronouncing it. Because that's a You're pronouncing it out now, Elise? You're pronouncing it Alizé? No, Alizé. Alizé Mack. I feel like that's there a should way be cooler a mark. name. Way uh, you cooler think Alizé is cooler? 100%. Alizé Mack? That's a badass name. Alizé, sound, Alizé sounds a little French. And we know the French, you know. I don't know about them. <laughs> All right, Mike. Now that now that I got Alize Mac, that he sounds French. Yeah. Now that we got all that, uh, my usual poking of you to get you all riled up for the start of the show. Let's dive in to uh, once again where I was right, and I told you that Kevin Byard was going to be the contract that was going to get messed with, and sure enough, uh, it turns around and it got but, messed with. But you said it was an extension. You said it was going to be an extension. So well, th- we'll we'll you see get if half it points. becomes an extension, but. The whole butchering of by Ian Rappaport oh, <laughs> of the contract details was dreadful, utterly, utterly incorrect. I mean, he there are the no incentives. Yeah, I mean, there I are. Mean, no he technically was correct with what he reported, but is the rest of it was all just there was like, way more to it. Yeah, there was way more to it. I was surprised that uh, when the contract details came out, based on what he said, uh, but we're obviously. This has a big ramification for the Tennessee Titans, not necessarily this year, even though it does give them the benefit of having a huge rollover next year, uh, way bigger than what they have had in the past. And it it allows them to sign Derek DeAndre Hopkins. That is the narrative right now. It's like, like, oh, he took this pay cut so they could sign DeAndre Hopkins. I I. In a roundabout way, I think they convinced him that he got a pay cut because of that, but the, he didn't have to take a pay cut or a renegotiate his contract for them to make room for DeAndre Hopkins. It was just kind of like, oh, well, here, if you take a pay cut, scratch our back, you scratch yours, we're going to get DeAndre Hopkins in here. It's a great negotiation tactic, but we got to settle down that that is the driving force. That was the, the faux reason for him to take a pay cut, and it is a pay cut. Yeah. For this year, because if I take money away from you that you were going to earn and take it away and not guarantee it next year, that's a pay cut. Now he has a chance to earn that by being on the uh, by being on the roster next year, but this is a renegotiation with elements of a restructure. But he had to agree probably to get the signing bonus restructure. He probably had to agree to do the roster bonus thing. Freed up a lot of space. The Titans are sitting pretty around $14 million before the DeAndre Hopkins contract. What what do you feel at the end of the day this contract says about where the Tennessee Titans and Kevin Byard are at in negotiations? I think it says that they're not convinced that they want him to be around a whole lot longer. To me, I, I mean... I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's that they want... To, to lower his cap hit. They want to see what he can do this year. And if it's not great, like if it's not all pro Kevin Byard, I think he's going to be gone next off season. I, I honestly do. Cause now they have more incentive to cut him next year. Right. Um, Cause he's got a bigger salary to, than a bigger cap number. Um, so to me, it's like, I guess this is the fork in the road year, which it, it feels like that's true for a lot of the stars on this team at this point is if Byard plays awesome, then maybe they come back and, and say, all right, we're going to do an extension now, um, which would make sense for them to to do that if if he, he's playing great and they think he's going to be able to continue to do that. But if he's not great, he's gone. You know, this will this will be his last year, I think. So, And I, I think that's true of Tannehill and Henry, too, to some degree, although they're on expiring contracts, so it's a little bit more obvious that it's a fork-in-the-road season for them. But to me, those three guys, if, if they don't perform like to a elite degree, um, they're probably all gone. Yeah, I mean that's that's what the that incentive is for, right? It gives the Titans and Kevin Byard a a hard deadline because they're not going to let the deadline pass with no no resolution, at least in theory, trending that direction, right? Like 
Yeah. They may let it pass because they are they feel they're in a good spot negotiation-wise and they're about to close the deal and it may pass and a couple days later. Here comes the big extension. But he, but they're not going to... It's either cut or extension. There is yeah. no staying on this and this price tag and playing the 2024 season as it sits. And they're yeah. not going to restructure it because then they're just pushing off more money that they don't have to be pushing off. Yeah. So it's it's going to be put up or shut up for Kevin Byard, and I I it may sound like that we're turning towards this in a in a negative manner. I am rooting like I have been rooting this whole time for Kevin Byard to get an extension based on his play. Like I want Kevin Byard on the team. I want him to get an extension. But we have to deal in the reality of the 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 situation is it's either he plays near an All Pro level even if he gets snubbed like. He he is the a top 100 player in the league. He's a top five player at his position, and they reward him with an extension, or he's gone. And they've been trying to find every which way to get him to agree to this. They finally found it. I I mean that's just where we're at. That's the reality of the situation. This is the Derek Carr meta the clause that we saw that they had a couple of days after the Super Bowl to either sign Derek Carr or cut Derek Carr and mess with that number and keep them and they cut them. And this is a, this is a tried and true method of placing a hard deadline on renegotiations of an extension of some sort. Yeah. I mean, if I think you're right that if he is on the roster, by the time that, uh, that roster bonus hits, then we can just count the days to the, the extension being announced because there will be one um, at that point. So we'll know pretty early next, next March. Um, what's going to happen with Kevin Byard? We got a question in here that says, if you had to know, if you had to cut or extend him without knowing how will you perform in 2023, what would you pick? I've always been of the the notion to extend him. It doesn't have to be extensive, expensive extension. It doesn't have to be the crazy money that's being thrown around at tackles and quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think at the end of the day, there is a piece of him that wants to retire in Tennessee where he graduated and went to school, where his family and his roots are at right now. He's been here for forever. I think you would get a semi, semi equitable deal for both sides in an extension. What about you? I'd say, um, I'd say an extension right now, because frankly, there's just nobody like there's nobody in the pipeline that is, going to be able to replace him and you don't want to have to be pigeonholed into a spot where you're either having to go out and find a free agent starter or draft a starter. Um, you always would rather have like the, the replacement already on the roster if you're going to move on from a guy like Bayard, because you know, otherwise you're putting yourself in a bad position. E- even if it, is, even if safety isn't like the most valuable spot on the defense, um, you still need two good ones. and and with Hooker not being the most reliable guy from a staying on the field standpoint, I still think you're going to want Kevin Byer to be on this team in 2024 uh, if you're the Titans. So I, I'd lean toward extend as well. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately where this he- leads anyway, because I'm fairly certain that the play of Kevin Byer is not going to drop off just all of a sudden. It may be a gradual decline, but and that decline may start this year, but it's not going to be like he's just going to be bad. I'll say this and I I don't people will overreact to it. I think the decline has already started. Frankly, I started, I think it started last year. I think the, the game when he was trying to cover Evan Ingram uh, in in Nissan stadium, and he was just getting torched. Uh, That never used to happen, even against the good tight ends. I know Evan Ingram is a really good athlete and one of the tougher covers among tight ends uh, in the NFL, but that never used to happen to Kevin Byard. Um, So I think the, the wear and tear has certainly, slowed him down a bit he was never the fastest guy anyway so I think some of the I still think the instincts uh you know the smarts all that stuff will carry him and he'll still be able to play but I, I don't think you're going to want him match him matching up against tight ends anymore yeah the uh, defense is going to almost have to like adjust for Kevin Byard almost I think Hooker needs to be your tight end matchup guy moving forward uh, and not Bayard. Let Bayard play that that ball hawk in the middle of the field and let his instincts really shine, it, it, which could be fine and, and means that you know it may extend his career a little bit. But I, I think the decline has already started for him. Um, 
even though I, I don't, that doesn't mean I think he's a bad player or that he's bulletin board trash. material, throw it up in the, in the locker room Titans. I know I'm, I'm throwing out a ton of bulletin board <laughs> material. This, I like this it. Summer. You're getting them extra motivated to be really good yeah. this year, which will again, prove me right. And I love it. Uh, you know me, I love to be proven right. Um, D hops presser was, uh, I think okay. I mean, it's pretty good. No, no mention of Pretty Boy Kelly in that particular <laughs> press conference. But I want to know your big takeaway because my big takeaway was that he really just loves Vrabel, Tannehill, and Derrick Henry. And let me rephrase it: he loves Vrabel, Derrick Henry, and Tannehill in that order. Yeah. Like I, I mean, he came for players specifically for the quarterback and the coach and. You can't really include Derrick Henry in this, but that people want gone, right? Like people have been clamoring for Mike Vrabel to get fired because he's not Arthur Smith. People have been clamoring for Ryan Tannehill to be gone since he got traded by the Miami Dolphins. So, like, I mean, but DeAndre came because of everything the Titans have done in this offseason was basically landed Elijah, or uh, sorry, I just read a comment about Elijah Molden, but DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins. They they basically keeping Derrick Henry, not trading or cutting him, not trading or cutting Ryan Tannehill, keeping Mike Vrabel employed, Mike Vrabel promoting Tim Kelly, Tim Kelly and the offensive staff growing with more connections to DeAndre Hopkins. It just all seemed to kind of move into this direction that like they created, maybe by happenstance or coincidence, the perfect environment for DeAndre Hopkins, and he was drawn to it like a moth to the flame. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they when they hired, um, you know, Tim Kelly a year ago or whatever, I, I don't know that that was, like, the intention on that or anything like well, that. Well, promoting him, though. Well, I mean, may, maybe. And, maybe. and again, it's not the intention of, like, they didn't make all these moves yeah. knowing that DeAndre Hopkins was going to be gone. But it just, every decision worked they out had that made way. worked out that way. It worked out that way, yeah. And, and I do think... Hopkins comments about Vrabel and like him checking in on him and, and, you know, critiquing him and stuff like that. That was was my favorite part. Can you imagine not even being a player on Vrabel's team? Like (laughs) you don't hear from him for a couple of months and all of a sudden he goes, why didn't you catch this ball in like third and 10 with nine minutes left in the third quarter? Which is right. Cause honestly, it reminds me a little bit of how Vrabel is with Will Compton and how he's just, he's constantly, you know, kind of chirping him and, and, and making little jokes at him and stuff like that. And I players like that. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I think some players maybe wouldn't if they, they have super thin skin and just can't take like good old fashioned ribbing, which is Mike Vrabel's love language. Um, but most players like a coach that is willing to to give them shit, you know, and, and to kind of uh, come about it in a way that is not, you know, overly aggressive or anything, but just, you know, let them know, you know, hey, I saw that and and I think Vrabel's relationship with players and, and the cool thing about Hopkins is that Vrabel was never his coach, right? Like Vrabel right. was a linebackers coach uh, for most of Hopkins career in Houston. And then finally the, the defensive coordinator, there was never any reason for them to have interaction. Um, but Vrabel seemingly went out of his way to build a relationship there. Even when, you know, they went their separate ways and, and Hopkins was in Arizona, Vrabel was in Tennessee he was still keeping up with him, texting him, talking to him, stuff like that. So the the fact that Vrabel reached out and, and kept that relationship alive, despite never having been his coach, never, you know, having any other, never needing anything from DeAndre Hopkins. Like to me, like that's a really great character trait when you treat people well, despite not needing anything from them. Um, I think that tells you a lot about the person that Mike Vrabel is and why people like him, why why he's popular among coaches and, and players. I think he does really care about these guys that that he comes across, and he really does care about building real relationships with these guys. So I think this is a big testament to Mike Vrabel um, that Hopkins thinks so highly of him and that he wanted to come here. Uh, and look, I do think – Hopkins liking Derrick Henry probably helps a little bit. The fact that, I mean, it all comes down to the fact that the Titans were willing to pay the most money, right? Like if, yeah. if New England had been willing to pay more money, I think he'd been saying, Oh, I love Bill Belichick. And uh, you know, Mac Jones came out to dinner with me and stuff like, like, I think it would have been kind of the same, but I, I do think that those are good things. And I think Ryan Tannehill is respected more around the league 
generally than what he is among fans and media. I think a lot of players do think Ryan Tannehill is a pretty good quarterback, and Hopkins obviously, you know, seems seems to think Tannehill well, he's is the best quarterback that he's going to play with since Deshaun Watson. I mean, oh, for for sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's hands down. He's the best quarterback that he's played with oh, in, in the best offensive system suited to his needs as well. Um, I thought it was interesting that he brought up and even said, you know, sometimes players, when they bring up these stories, they don't give you the details. Like they just say, oh, this game really showed me a lot. But he said they almost won the playoff game with Josh Dobbs. And like, I mean, he brought up that moment. And he said, these guys are for real. And that put them on their radar is how they play the game and how tough. And I, again, it's a testament to what Mike Vrabel does is a testament to the culture he has built within this team that they go out there and they're fighting for their lives, trying to get in with Josh Dobbs, who they only lost because he fumbled the ball and or and or didn't make the correct read that he should have. Well, they, they, on they lost because the ref made a poor call. But. Yeah, it was the right call, but that's okay. The uh, <laughs> We'll get you some glasses, old man. It's terrible. It's a terrible and, call. And um, but I think that it's just insane how how much one game can influence maybe the player's perception of a team. And I think that most people understand. I mean, if you you saw Patrick Mahomes talk about it, it's like a battle. It's a war when you go up against Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. One of the toughest games they have to play is the Tennessee Titans. And again, this goes back to what we've kind of talked about. You alluded to it earlier. We talked about last week when we I played the clip from uh, Kevin Byard from July 17th on ESPN Radio where he talks about Ryan Tannehill. This team commands a lot more respect in NFL circles than I think what fans or even sometimes us on here or the media at large here in Nashville give them that. And we need to probably change that. We need to keep that in mind. We've, we we. We talk about it a lot, and then like last year during the losing streak, I think it re- we really started straying away from the, as long as Mike Vrabel's here, they're in every game. And we kind of strayed away from that because we saw a seven-game losing streak. That was really not because of him. So I just want to bring that back to us. We're going to get back to what to what really makes the Titans the Titans, and that right now is Mike Vrabel's culture and his coaching ability. No matter what mistakes he may have done, at the end of the day, he has the respect, the talent, the skill to take this team to another level, no matter who is on the team. Yeah, I think he's a phenomenal head coach, and I think people are starting to recognize that nationally. It's it's almost funny. I feel like nationally, Vrabel is more respected than he is even among Titans fans, which is flipped from what it typically is with this this team. And and you know, with even with Vrabel early on, uh, I think Titans fans were impressed. You know, early on when he was going taking them to the AFC Championship game and and going and winning the division, and then going to be the one seed and all this stuff. Um, but I think. Losing in the playoffs and then what happened last year, I think, has just soured so many people um, on Vrabel, which to me doesn't make any sense because it's not Vrabel's fault that the the roster completely fell apart. Um, and obviously, Amy Adam Strong doesn't think it's Vrabel's fault that the roster completely fell apart because she fired the guy who let the roster fall apart. Um, so... I, Vrabel to me is he is the most valuable asset that the Titans have bar none. Like he is the guy that defines this organization right now um, more so than anyone. And I, people need to recognize that, that that is what he is. And regardless of what, like, you know, X's and O's, whether you think, you know, yeah, well, you gotta have an offensive guru and all this stuff. I, I just don't believe that. I, I think you can win with a defensive head coach. I think Belichick Tomlin, uh, Harbaugh, like all these guys that are, are, don't have offensive backgrounds and have been massive successes in the NFL, prove that you can win with a really strong head coach who is not an offensive guy. So, I, th- I think everybody's getting a little either maybe spoiled or fooled by two of the biggest elite quarterbacks that have won the Super Bowls the last few years. And, you know, they're talking about Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, 
um, who had an, a phenomenal Mahomes. team. Mahomes, Brady. Uh, I was talking about this last night, and I've I have come. I came to a point realization while watching the quarterbacks Netflix documentary, which we'll we'll maybe touch on what Ryan Tannehill had to say. I thought it was funny that he was asked to be it in season one, but um, I just have this un unlimited newfound respect for Patrick Mahomes. I can't get over. I think that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback we'll ever see. And he's probably already is the most talented that we've ever seen play the game, but he's gutsy, his dedication to the game. It's bar none. It's a great documentary that really dives you deep. It reminds me though, of like for the longest time I was annoyed by Patrick Mahomes. And it reminded me of being annoyed and downright hating Tom Brady mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until later like the later years of his life that I like the last few years in the uh, New England and then what happened in Tampa Bay that I truly appreciated what I was watching it was just I was appreciated too, too little too late and I think everybody needs to appreciate Patrick Mahomes and not be like you could be mad that he beat your team but you got to respect and just appreciate that this may be I don't know when we'll ever see another Patrick Mahomes. We'll see other good quarterbacks, I'm sure, but I don't know if we'll ever see another Patrick Mahomes for for a little bit. But it brings me to the point that I think people are are deluding themselves that there is only one way to win. And I do not think that is the case. We have seen teams get hot at the right time that don't have all the tools to win and go on to win a Super Bowl. We've seen it and it's just well, I, it's very I think cyclical the- almost. I think the Rams are an example of that because I don't think Stafford is an elite quarterback. Like, I yeah, think I guess got, I shouldn't have said Stafford in that, but I think he's got elite tools. Like, he's got an elite arm, but I, I don't know that I'd call him an elite quarterback. I always viewed him in the like. And Braden and I used to go back and forth about Stafford versus Tannehill because um, I, I think they're very close, if not Tannehill slightly better um, than Matt Stafford. And I, you know, obviously the Super Bowl the resumes become more difficult to compare then. Um, but I still don't think Stafford's an elite quarterback. I, I think he's in that 10 to 15 range in there with the Dak Prescott's and the Kirk Cousins's and the Brian Tannehill's and all these guys that you can win with, but aren't, you aren't going to necessarily win because of, you know, and, and I still think there is that path for those types of quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl, but you do have to have a lot go right around you because you know, you're going to have to beat a Mahomes at some point along the way, and, and that's clearly very difficult to do. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and I, th- I, it kind of brings us to what this team has to look for in the future, but I'm going to skip. I'm not going to go to that just yet, even though it kind of flows a little bit better, because i got to talk about this right tackle position. Got to talk yes. about this offensive line. And we saw George Fant, the George Fant, Gate, George Gate, whatever you want to call it, the photo gate uh, happened. We thought that maybe he was going to be signing soon. He came in for a uh, workout. He came in with Chris Hubbard, both left without a contract. Seems like George Fant and the Tennessee Titans got further in contract negotiations than they did with Chris Hubbard, but they ultimately could not come to an agreement. So to me, it's like they're going back to plan B. Let's say it's plan B. It's really plan plan A is was signing George Fant, I feel like. Plan B Maybe. is now we're gonna go back and do we're gonna hopefully someone steps up. Uh they're hoping Jamarco Jones or John Ajuku, if you want to call him OJ, that is fine. Um, but those seem to be the two main guys, the leaders in the clubhouse for that right tackle position. And I wonder if how long they're going to let this go. Because if George Fant does not come down on his price, I don't think that he's going to be in a Tennessee Titan. I think they're willing to let this drag on for a little bit. What is your take on Frable's comments? What we've heard about today at, about the right tackle position? What what are you what are you feeling right now that this team is going to do? I kind of think it's Unless, unless Fant maybe had like an injury or something like that, that or or they 
got a bad medical back on him whenever they had him in. Um, I'm because I'm sure they had doctors look at those guys and stuff like that while they were in. I think it's possible maybe there's a bad medical there or something like that that's that cooled them to uh to fant because it sure sounded like there was a lot of interest there based on Jordan Schultz's reporting. Um, so you know, maybe the workout went terribly. I, I don't know, but either way, I, I think. You can't give it too long with Jamarco Jones and John Ajukwu and, you know, whoever else you might cycle in there off the current roster. Because if you if those guys aren't good and you have to sign a guy two weeks before the season starts, it becomes extremely difficult um, to get a guy up to speed to the point where he's going to actually be able to plug in play at right tackle by week one. So I think if you're going to sign someone, you need to sign them like real soon and, you know, maybe give it, you could maybe give them a week, you know, and, and see how it's looking with Jamarco Jones at right tackle. But yeah, I think they need to have a break glass in case of emergency free agent uh, kind of on deck. And maybe they already do. Maybe that's what Fant is to them. Um, if things aren't looking great with, with Jones or a Juku out there. Um, and, and I mean, I guess it is just six games, um, you know, so that's it, it always be- been my main hang up of really buying in that they are going to sign a free yeah. agent because it's just for six games. I, my, my only thing is like, I, I don't know who plays left tackle if, if Dillard gets hurt, right? Like then are you looking at bumping out, Skaronsky, which they seem to really want Skaronsky to be a guard. And I think if you're going to make him play guard, then you need to keep him at guard and let him learn guard and not have him cross training a million different positions as a rookie. Let him go learn as much as he can about playing left guard because he's not done it before. Um, so to me, it's, I think having a veteran in here like Fant, who's played both sides, makes a ton of sense just from a depth standpoint, even over the course of the season. Cause I, I'm still not crazy about Jamarco Jones as your third tackle, much less a a starter. Um, and I'm not crazy. You know, I was high on John Ajuku uh, as a UDFA. He was my favorite UDFA signing of theirs. I he was in my top 100 uh, players in the uh, draft prospects. I, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I love. I thought him. he was. I thought he was a draftable player. Brandon Thorne, who's like you know to me the one of the most foremost uh, offensive line experts out there. Um, he had him as a, a draftable player too. Um, so I, I think it's, I think he's a guy with real talent and I, I have no idea why he didn't end up getting drafted, but it sounds like the Titans like him so far. And maybe he turns out to be a pleasant surprise, but still even like drafted tackles struggle uh, as rookies for the most part. So the idea that Ojuku could step in and play right tackle at a, uh, even an average level for six weeks, I think it's super low. Like, I think the odds of that happening are super low. I think he's going to struggle, and I think it's going to be bad uh, for a little bit. Now, how bad? Is it going to be Dennis Daly bad, or is it just going to be, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a good example of of less bad <laughs> at tackle. Uh, Nicholas like, Petit Ferrer bad? Well, yeah. Is it going to just be Nicholas Petit Ferrer bad? Um, so maybe I think that's the question, but I think it's going to be in that spectrum between those two right um most likely unless well, Juku is just like this like complete diamond and a rough guy that's once well in let, a let me say something it you know we talk about the tennessee titans and we talked about mike rabel on bus with the boys saying that he wants guys to have the passion to have the love for the game that he can work something with those guys and that's basically word for word almost what he used to describe John Ujukwu, when he basically uh, might as well have thrown a boner right up on that podium, right in front of the microphone, just let it do the talking, because that that's pretty much what what he was talking about. It, it just matches, and you know, I know that I'm going to compare him to Tier Tart, but I know that Tier Tart struggled in OTAs and training camp, but he had the will and the want to improve. That's kind of where I'm at with. John Ujukwu, except for that he's not, he's 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 already a step above what Tier Tart was his rookie season. And they're gonna work with him. I mean, John Ujukwu, I mean, he's um he's massive. I mean, we're talking about he's 78 inches tall. 
Uh, that's six foot six for those that can't do the math. Uh, he's 309 pounds. He had an uh, 8.23 RAS score, uh, 34-inch arms, 10.75-inch hands, 5.24 40-yard uh, dash, but his 10-yard split was a 1.81, which is well below the NFL average of elite tackles of 1.95. I mean, this guy's he's got some explosiveness to his game. He's got some athleticism to this game. I think that I'm not saying that he can be a long-term solution, but it sounds like Jalen Duncan is still having a hard time overcoming the mental aspect of mistakes. And what I mean by that, he has a hard time shaking them off. And that's something that Mike Rabel alluded to. But if I were to look at this roster, Mike, and make a guess at what they're hoping happens, is that John Ajukwu takes the job, okay, grabs it by the horns, and makes a name for himself in the first six weeks to where next year, Ojukwu, Jalen Duncan, NPF, Peter Skaronsky somehow form for the offensive linemen around maybe possibly Aaron Brewer. Like, I kind of feel that they are they have drafted these guys and signed these guys with the future in mind hoping that they develop i think john ojukwu is just going to have to take a bigger leap than what they wanted him to take yeah i mean i definitely think it's um it would be an ideal world for them to end up with all those young guys finding spots and and really like almost one draft almost completely re- renovating their entire offensive line. I mean, that would be a dream scenario um, for them. I I think the odds of that actually panning out are pretty low, Um, but who knows? I mean, I I did like Ajuku. I I think he's got a chance to be um, a long-term starter in the NFL. Um, And I mean, look, he's got the physical tools. It seems like he's got the right mentality. The fact that he's already, you know, it sounds like he's past Andrew Rupsich. You know, he's past Jalen Duncan, who was drafted. Um, it sounds like he's already passed some guys in the pecking order. So that's a positive. I mean, he's, I mean, it sounded like the way that the media portrayed it uh, was that at least this is how Buck's tweet sounded was that they were essentially splitting reps out there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the way it sounded to me. Every, everyone seemed to say that it was Jamarco Jones and. John Ajukwu and Ajukwu is the second name out of Vrabel's mouth when he talked about the right tackle spot too. So I, I definitely think there's something to that. Um, so it, it'll be very interesting to to kind of track his progress through camp and, and through preseason too. I mean, you know, this may not be settled anytime soon, yeah. especially if they're really going to let Jones and Ajukwu battle it out. Well, Dr. Lipschitz brings up a point in the uh, YouTube chat. They gave OJ a huge contract for UDFA. He says he thinks he's making more money than Dow. He, he's not, but Dow also has an extra year. Uh, so, But they did sign him a UDFA to a three-year, $2.7 million contract for a UDFA. So they obviously, I feel like if there were, I guess, maybe eight, Eight rounds in the draft, they may have drafted John Ajukwu in the eighth round, or maybe they would have waited on Colton Dow. But at the end of the day, that's a massive number for a UDFA, and to be under there, they they just fucking love him, and that's okay because if you watch the tape, he, and by the for those that may not know, over at StackingTheInbox.com, one of the film Fridays by Stony Keeley at StackingTheInbox.com was him breaking down Ojukwu's tape, and. I think we, I think all three of us are in agreement. John Ujukwu has a chance to be one of those UDFAs that really comes on for the offensive line. It's very, it's not very often. Uh, I believe Andrew Norwell was a UDFA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he had a good long career. I think that John Ujukwu could do it. And I think he could find a place on this offensive line somewhere. And yeah. uh, do UDFA salaries count towards the cap by Zach Whitener uh, on the YouTube chat? Yes, they do. As long as they meet the minimum, it's the top 51 salaries of your, the players on your roster count towards the cap. So if their cap hit is one of the top 51 cap hits, then yes, it does count. 
and but none of the none of the UDFA's will because all of no, the No, I think we're will. already in I think the lowest cap hit right now is 870k so yeah. technically none of the, that's most of your UDFA's won't count but they they can count at the end of uh if they make the team happen. yeah, yeah if they make the team happen. they will count um yeah. but yeah I'm looking at the and this is according to spot track here um or spot track I never know how to pronounce it it's spot track um, apparently okay all right, so Spotrack has a juke woo is the most because really the key number to look at is guaranteed money mm-hmm. on these uh, on these UDFA deals. He got the most at one hundred ninety thousand, and then uh, edge rusher Th- Thomas Rush, who has a great great edge rusher name, um, one hundred seventy five thousand was second, and then Shaquille Brown, the defensive tackle, was third at one hundred five thousand among Titans. Jacob Copeland fourth at at fifty thousand, so it's a big drop off there. But those are the three guys that I think would tell you those were the three biggest priority guys, or at least the three guys that they had the most competition to sign uh, after the draft. So, yeah, I would say Ajuku is probably their next guy on their board, probably after Colton Dowell. Yeah, I, I'm really uh, I'm really glad for Stoney, who spent a lot of time, you know, breaking down film of an undrafted free agent. Uh but this is this could be end up being a good long term development for the Tennessee Titans if Ojukwu wins the job, and he's going to have to beat a guy in Jamarco Jones, who I Mike Vrabel is just like he sees something in Jamarco Jones that none of us do, and I know that there's video of him getting coached up and cheered up uh, for a highlight from the training camp on Wednesday. I don't know, and maybe that's not stiff competition for John Ojukwu, for OJ, but at least there is a battle, and at least you know that someone's earned the spot. They have not been given the spot, and that's what you can say about the Tennessee Titans all the way through the roster is that Mike Vrabel is all about earning it, and maybe they need better competition to earn it through, like a better iron sharpens iron competition. But if they feel comfortable with John Ojukwu, you know, getting that guaranteed money, having a three-year contract at $2.7 million, I they may just roll with it for six weeks and, and say, screw it. And it may, hey, listen, may not work out. It may come back and bite them in the ass, but we'll at least know by week one of the preseason what it's kind of looking like. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this will be something that'll be worth watching when preseason starts too. How do these guys look? How do they play? In what order do they come into the game? All that stuff. Um, and Jamarco Jones, look, like, I get some of the fascination with him. I mean, he's he's a guy who has like rare length. I mean, he's got like thirty-five and a half inch arms. He's got a like over seven foot uh, wingspan. Um, so he's a long guy. You know, I think he's probably a better athlete than what he tested, which was horrible um, at the combine, and that was what really killed his draft stock back then. Um, but I think he's a guy that. It has played okay. Like he wasn't great in Seattle, but he was okay. Um, wasn't a disaster. Wasn't a Dennis Daly, um, but only has seven career starts. So again, we're talking about a small sample size guy um, that you're trying to project into what what he might look like as a right tackle, uh, like starting right tackle, playing as many starts as almost as many starts as he's had over his whole career so far. So it, I I do understand some of the fascination there for Vrabel, but. I, you know, Ujuku's got the higher upside, that's for sure. I, I think you'd love to see him win that job if it's just down to those two, because that would mean that I think Ujuku showed them something and earned their trust to a large degree rather than them just defaulting to the veteran. Well, we were talking about it earlier. We we're talking about the quarterbacks. Now, I want to talk about the quarterback running back market that we're, we're seeing form, uh, especially and tie it into the comments about Mike Vrabel from Mike Vrabel about Malik Willis and Will Levis. Um, where do I want to start? Let's start with let's start with the quarterback market and the running back market. So, r- running backs do need to get paid more. This is the the fault, though, of an endless supply of running backs that can almost be interchanged with these running backs. They, you can't replace Derrick Henry. It took two people to replace Derrick Henry, right? It, ta- it would take multiple people to replace Christian McCaffrey. It, it 
Josh Jacobs could probably be replaced fairly easily. He's only really had one good season. I don't, I don't know about him holding out, uh, but I think you know, it, I think Jacobs is pretty good. He's uh, he's okay. I mean, he's not as good as everybody else. But it's it's the Chargers can't replace Austin Eckler. They they've tried to get relief with him from guys like Justin Jackson and other guys of that ilk that have not panned out. Um, so I think there there are players that are really hard to replace that are running backs. The problem is is that may take two people instead of one person, and you're still paying probably less than what some of these running backs are demanding. On the flip side, the quarterback market is just like, it's it's so crazy that I do not know how the NFL is going to prevent these cap crippling numbers at some point. Like they're, the the salary cap is going to have to balloon exponentially here soon. A lot quickly, you know, uh, year over year, you may get like an eight to 10 year increase. They're going to have to jump up like 30 or $40 million year after year. So teams can afford to pay these quarterbacks and be able to pay other players. So these quarterbacks can also be good because right now there isn't enough quarterbacks. So that is why you have to pay quarterbacks at that position, right? Like Justin Herbert, epic choke job by the chargers. He's really talented. He's, he's probably for me, a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I'm never going to say, except for Kyler Murray, Murray, that no quarterback should get paid a lot of money. But now Joe Burrow's going to have to beat that contract. And then probably in a couple of years, there's going to be another quarterback and another quarterback. All this to say, to wrap it into the Tennessee Titans, is that they desperately need one of Will Levis or Malik Wills to step up and show that they could be the guy next year. Because eventually they need to figure out, they need to find their quarterback of the future and capitalize on building around that quarterback and taking advantage of their that cap hit. They need to take advantage of that cap hit immediately right now. And I am not 100% bought in on either of these guys, but I'm also not like completely out on e- any of them at the moment. But I do think we need to have some proper expectations here with Malik Willis in the sense that glaring improvement was so overblown. Guys, you can be an F student for a whole year, okay? And then the next year you come in and you are a D student, that is a still considered a glaring improvement. If you start from the bottom and you just go from trash to bad, it's still a glaring improvement. It's not like he went from trash to amazing, okay? So we got we to gotta set proper expectations. Now, Tannehill, Malik Willis, Will Levis all had really good days today. That's a good sign of things going forward. Uh, a couple touch passes from Will Levis from what I've heard. But how important for you in your mind for the future of this franchise, and that sounds a little ominous, so the future... To be successful for the next few years, how important is it that one of these guys pans out for the Tennessee Titans? Because they're going to be good enough to not be able to get one of the top quarterbacks in next year's draft. And then we'll be saying this again after next year's offseason. They're not going to be good for the 20. They're going to be too good to get one of the top quarterbacks in the 2025 draft. <laughs> you know, it just feels like we're going to be just too good to get one of the top guys. I, I think it's critical that one of these guys hands out if they're if they're going to compete because look i mean there's obviously we've talked about all the young quarterbacks in the afc south there's a really good chance that not all of these guys are going to work out like between anthony richardson cj stroud will levis malik willis and you know obviously trevor lawrence is he's already like you know kind of showing signs that he'll be pretty good um, I don't, he's not going to be an outright bust bust, you know? Um, I think we're pretty safe saying that at this point. Um, but between those five quarterbacks that I just listed, some of those are going to work out. Some of them are not in, in the, who, who works out is really going to be, who's going to control the division um, for the next five to 10 years. So uh, obviously like Lawrence has a little bit of a head start on the rest of these guys, but it's going to be um, critical that one of these guys hands out. Cause yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to be 
top five pick bad. And if you're not top five pick bad, you're going to have a real hard time getting into the Caleb Williams, Drake May uh, sweepstakes. Um, You know, maybe if there's like three quarterbacks in the class that you feel really good about, maybe you could get the third one. Um, If, if behind the scenes, Levis and Willis are just not it. But I think you'll know. I think they'll know behind the scenes kind of what these guys are by the end of the season. Not not what they are as complete pro, like finished product, but where they're trending and what they they think they are going to be. Um, I think you'll have a much better idea at the end of the year, even if we don't see them in games. Right, the the coaching staff and mm-hmm. the, the front office will know. So I mean, yeah, being able to take advantage of them on the rookie contract because the last thing you want is like, well those guys aren't showing a lot of improvement. And so we're going to have to re-sign Tannehill to an extension after, after the season to keep him around. And then all of a sudden you're two, three years into the rookie contract before you're even getting those guys on the field, like Jordan love where the Packers already had to sign him to an extension before he even really got to play. Uh, So they're taking a risk there and then basically wasted his entire rookie contract. Like you're going to get no actual rookie None of the benefits of having a, a highly drafted rookie quarterback, you're going to get none of those as the Packers. You basically might as well assign them as a free agent or traded for them. I guess the only thing you save is the draft pick, draft capital um, versus trading for a guy. So it's definitely important. It's good to take advantage of those years because it becomes harder and harder to build around these guys once they're making 50 plus million dollars a year, which you know Joe Burrow will be next and then Trevor Lawrence will probably be the next one after that. Uh, to attack of Aloha will be interesting. Um, see what happens with him because he, he's kind of he's in that Burrow Herbert class. So you know, is he going to get fifty million a year? That would be kind of crazy to me. Um, so I mean, look, Ryan Tannehill. As much as people, as much as Titans fans like to talk about how much he gets paid, he's the sixteenth highest paid quarterback in the NFL at this point, and sinking. You know, if Burrow gets paid. If Tua gets paid, he'll quickly be 17th or 18th before the season starts. So, um, yeah, $30 million for a quarterback, for a starting quarterback, is nothing in today's NFL, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but, yeah, it, they've got to have one of them work out. And and to your point about Willis and the comments, I think it's great that he's shown improvement. I think it's clear that he's shown improvement just based on the reports that you hear from from people who are out there and and, and stuff like that. Um, how much improvement we'll see. And also, you know, people saying like, well, he looks better than Levis right now. Willis, comparing Willis a year ago to Levis right now is more of the fair comparison, right? Because like, of course he's going to get better. If he's not getting better, then something is very, very wrong with the coaching staff and or the person. Um, And I never thought Willis was a bad person or unable to work or unwilling to work or anything like that. So. Um, of course, he's going to get better. How much better is the big question. And and Levis has time. Levis is going to have time to develop and improve as well. And it sounds like he had a great day today too. So, well, and and he Vrabel even mentioned. I do not know who he was talking about. And I don't think it was as a quarterback. It was a different position. But he talked about today, I believe, maybe yesterday, that basically, I don't think it's in my notes, but basically, he talked about. The uh, the fact that you always know behind the scenes what's going on. We learn a lot about these guys off the field uh, when they're in the classroom, when they're doing this. So that's what we have always talked about with Malik Willis. It's not just practices. It's what's happening in the meeting room. It's the quizzes that they are given when watching film. It's the breaking down of coverage. Because uh, they specifically talked about DeAndre Hopkins helping the uh, wide receivers figure out the coverages because he's seen so many coverages. That was the first time I've ever heard them talk about a wide receiver doing that, by the way, like the way that he talked about what Deandre Hopkins brings was totally that Deandre Hopkins introduction press was definitely different than the Julio Jones introductory pressure, uh, presser. Uh, I know I took notes, but I guess I don't know where I put them. Um, but anyway, that to me was the key thing for the Malik Willis discussion was that like you, you, they know the coaches know the coaches know who's put in the work. The coaches know who's ready. They do not need um, 
they do not need to see game stuff, truly see it to have an evaluation. Uh, they'll see it in the preseason and knock on wood. Hopefully they won't see it in the regular season, but they, they see enough behind the scenes. And that that's what matters in the evaluation of this team. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much more that we don't see. And even, you know, we've talked about this before with practice videos and practice reports and stuff like that. That's like a, a fraction of their day. They spend the whole day in the facility during training camp. I mean, they, they have meetings in the morning uh, before they go out to practice. Then they come back from practice. They get lunch. Then they have more meetings in the afternoon and, and all that. And I mean, there's, it is a long day in the facility where they are going through stuff. They are coaching um, and nobody sees any of that stuff. So we see like the tip of the iceberg and to try to make like big evaluations based off of the tip of the iceberg is difficult. I mean, and ultimately the proof comes out in the play on the field in the games, right? Like that is ultimately where the proof will be shown, but the work, that goes in, nobody really sees it besides the people that are actually in the building. Yeah. That you always got, whether they're right or wrong, it, it matters, but that's not, that's something that you have to judge later on. Because I mean, think of all the teams that passed up on Geno Smith and now look at Geno Smith. Now, listen, I'd like to see Geno Smith put another season. I'm very skeptical that he puts it together another season, but he's got a lot of damn weapons. It could be pretty hard for him not to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that's I think it's a big factor in the discussion of who's winning the quarterback battle. They obviously want Will Levis to win, but if Malik Willis just outright wins and not Will Levis loses this the quarterback position, they're still in a really good spot. I mean, they now they have a younger, talented, just as talented player as what they wanted out Will Levis, right? I mean, like, it's it's just they're in yeah. a weird predicament, but it's also, it could be a really good predicament as long as both of them aren't trash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't really matter, I don't think, to them. I mean, I guess they would prefer Levis just because they have an extra year of, of cost control on him compared to Willis. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. If Willis turns out to be a, a star quarterback, great. Like, that's awesome for the Titans. If Levis turns out to be a star quarterback, great. That's awesome for the Titans. If they both turn out to be good, that's even better because then you can either trade one for real draft capital or have two super cheap quarterbacks on the roster, which would be an unbelievable situation for them from a cap standpoint and being able to surround whoever the starter is with, with you know, good to great talent. Um, it's a it's a great situation. So yeah, would, the ideal situation is both of them are good. And I do think you know um, there was a comment in here about the Titans trying to pump Malik up a little bit and, and to try to like bait him for for a trade. It, that's certainly possible, but it, ultimately teams are going to see him play. Like teams are going to see him play in the preseason. Teams are going to be able to to get some insight from. They're friends with the uh, – who are they practicing with this year? The Vikings and the Patriots. Um, teams will probably be able to get some intel from those guys as far as, you know, hey, how did how did he look? How, how did he actually practice? Um, and I think teams will know. So those guys actually have to be good for, for them to have any sort of trade. Like Mike Vrabel talking about glaring improvement at a press conference isn't going to make a huge impact on Malik Willis's trade value, I don't think. Um, it's going to have to actually be true for it to, to move the needle. Um, but it might be, I mean, I, and by all reports, it sounds like he has been better. So uh, maybe there's a team that loves him or that loved him last draft and, or, but not enough to take him in the first you know, two or three rounds um, who circles back and says, okay, maybe we, maybe we want to make a trade for him. Maybe we want to, you know, bring him in now. If he, if he shows something and the Titans make him available. Um, but if I'm the Titans, I'm hanging on to both those guys until one of them shows me that they're a legitimate NFL quarterback. And I'm, I'm holding both, I'm holding on to both my lottery tickets until one of them cashes. Right. Well, I think that is there, is there anything else we need to talk about? Did we hit on everything that we need? The G hop, Kevin Byard, the right tackles, the quarterbacks. That's about it. Right. I think that pretty much got Harold Landry practicing without a knee brace. That's a good sign. Yeah. Um, I wonder how long that will last. Cause you remember Robert Wood 
Woods, uh, he had it on, then took it off, then put it back on. So I wonder how long he'll practice. I'm sure today was like a test run to see if he can get by with it on the next day without it. So it'll be interesting to see that progress. I'll be, uh, we'll have knee brace gate, I guess, uh, this year. Um, uh, both where do you think DeAndre Hopkins is going these next two days? Where do I think he's going? Yeah, where, I wonder where he's going. I don't know. I mean, it's not going to be a wedding in the middle of the week. He said it was some family obligation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Did he know. say family obligation, or I just thought it was a prior engagement? He said prior engagement, but I thought I saw somewhere where they said some sort of family thing. We'll um, see. Uh, I, th- I thought it was interesting. What would be the funniest? <laughs> would be the funniest thing he was going to do? I, th- I think it would be the funniest thing would be a uh, clam chowder uh, eating festival or clam chowder festival up in Boston. I didn't, I didn't. Maybe he had like uh, mid midweek matinees for Barbenheimer, and he was going to go see a double feature for those. And I gotta go see Oppenheimer know, in the seventy millimeter uh, uh, IMAX well, here soon this week. Yeah, yeah, that'd be. I got permission oh, wait, from the wife to go without her, so I'm like, get to go. Where, where are they? Are they showing that? Uh, do I they think have it's like Opera one of the Mills big... is seventy millimeters? Are they okay? Yeah. I didn't know if Opera Mills had that. I saw the business. I haven't Googled it, but the business, uh, the National Business Journal said that it was the Opry Mills in Bristol, Tennessee. And that really threw me for a loop because I was like, there, I, what? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. The journalism is dead. So uh, there you go. The, the kickers um, were perfect. The kickers were perfect. Yeah, today. the kickers were perfect. They were great. Um, uh, so someone said he's getting his family moved and settled. That's from Dr. Lipschitz. So uh, good for him. Because yeah. if they if they, listen, if it's my fam, if I was as rich as this guy was, I'm paying someone to do it. I ain't doing it myself. Oh, 100 um, yeah. percent. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to move. I need listen, I'm not even rich, you know, NFL rich, and I still wouldn't pay people to move. Fuck moving. And I ain't helping moving, moving's a dreadful experience. No. And it only gets worse the older you get because you just accumulate more shit. Like uh, the last time I moved, we had we filled up like two fucking full moving trucks with shit. And I, I was amazed that we had that much stuff because i was like there's just no way yeah and it just gets worse and worse so i i don't yeah every time i moving phase of my life every time i move i create in the garage a junk pile and i just call 1-800-JUNK to come pick it up and they take it off for me and it's it's beautiful it's it's like the most cathartic thing uh yeah uh the kickers five for five a couple of uh four 40 plus uh kicks we need to get them in the 50s and 60s though let's get we don't need the 30s, okay? Let's stretch those 30s. legs out a little bit. Do the 40s and the 50s but, and the 60s. Hey, they're pa- they're practicing the money zone over there. Yeah, uh, Craig Ackerman's money zone. Yeah. Uh, oh, AJ Moore got signed. Uh, oh, we yeah. see more than five snaps. Yes, we will see more than five. Snaps. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. Good. Because luck look, I, I think he's I think he's gonna play. Um, I think he's gonna be. He'll be on. He'll be, he'll be injured before this this pre off season's over. I just could feel it. I'm just I'm not I mean, in. I'm not in on AJ. Why not Joshua Kalu? I don't understand why um, they didn't bring in Joshua Kalu. They got some Sean Chandler's out there. He pro- has proved that he could play a full 500 uh, snap season at defense if called upon with the Carolina Panthers, and he's good at special teams. Kalu's better at special teams than AJ Moore. There's nothing about AJ Moore. I'll say it like I said it again, like like last year. There's nothing about AJ Moore that screams great depth. And I no, get it. He's fine. I, here's the thing. I get that like we're in the 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 deep off season and there's not a lot of great players out there. But I'd rather have un and I told the Easton this, I'd rather have uninspiring and available than uninspiring and unavailable. And that's where I'm oh, at I mean, with sure. AJ Moore. Yeah, I mean I I'm not like psyched about the signing or anything like that, but I do feel better having him on the roster than I do about like whatever the hell the guys that they had already on the roster. At the end of were. the day, I expect that Elijah Molden is the first guy to see my, the safety spot. By yeah, the way. my guess is he's kind of the dime, uh, dime back, if you want to call it that, um, when they go to that package, your third safety. I think it'll be Molden that'll be on the field for that. So I, I think he's realistically your third guy. AJ Moore's probably your fourth, and then maybe maybe Tariq Jones or somebody like that makes makes the roster as a fifth. Or, you know, Chris Jackson can play some safety too, I yeah. think. So yeah, there's there's gonna be guys that they can throw in there, but you know. You just don't want to see those guys. You don't want to see any of those guys on the field 
if like a money hooker gets hurt, you're still fucked. Cause I, I like Elijah Molden. I like him. Maybe he can be a good safety, but I don't know. I'm, I, I makes me nervous if you have to put him on the field for like every snap of a game at safety where he's never played. Well, that will do it for us here at football under the F words. Been a great, great podcast. One of our, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done so far. If you love this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. If you love this dynamic, tune in Monday, 1 p.m., a football show. Me and Mike, Braden's going out of town. It'll be me and Mike on Monday for a football show. Thursday will be me and Stoney on a football show, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. And tomorrow, on tomorrow's a football show, Thursday's edition, tune in at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Braden has an exclusive one-on-one little interview snippet with Jeffrey Simmons. Just him and Jeffrey Simmons asking the questions that nobody else has. So tune in mm. tomorrow to get a little glimpse of that. For Mike Herndon, you can follow him on Twitter, at MikeHerndonNFL. You can read about his seven rankings of offensive or off-season storylines over at paulkarski.com. Go subscribe over there. Every Wednesday, you can read his articles. Every day over at stackinginbox.com. We have tons of articles coming out. I talked about, uh, will DeAndre Hopkins actually help the stacked box dilemma with Derrick Henry? We uh, also talked about metrics that they have to hit, benchmarks that the Tennessee Titans need to hit to extend their... Uh, Super Bowl chances even further. And uh, today we talked about oh, with Trey John Watkins. He wrote about, oh my gosh, uh, the Malik Willis quarterback uh, situation that we talked about. And that's over at secondinbox.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. Follow me on Twitter at FWordsPod. Bluegrass Beverages, our sponsor, Hendersonville, Tennessee, best liquor store in the world. For Mike, I'm Zach. This has been Football and Other F Words. And you. Have just been F.